welcome back to another episode of Baller Island. We are officially one week away from the NBA playing tournament and we got a lot to talk about. On today's episode, Bilal and I will be joined by founder of Raptors Cage, Sachin Aurora, to talk about the Toronto Raptors tough season as well as other headlines around the rest of the NBA. We will also get to Jalen Brown's injury and how that will impact the Boston Celtics moving forward. We'll also get to Russell Westbrook as he became the new triple-double king in the NBA. We'll talk a little play-in tournament. And to finish off the episode, we will get to some NFL schedule predictions as the NFL schedule for the 2021 regular season will be released Wednesday night. And of course, don't forget to give Baller Island a follow on Instagram and Twitter for more sports news and analysis. And welcome back to the island. We are one week away from the NBA play-in tournament and we got a lot to talk about. Jay Sahoda alongside Bilal Lahi, and we will be joined by a guest in just a few minutes here. Bilal, how we doing, my guy? Man, almost playoff time, man. Best time of the year. Absolutely, man. Looking forward to it, and we'll talk a little bit about the Raptors season coming up, and we'll also talk about a little bit about the playing tournament, and later on in this episode, we will get to our NBA season awards and Bilal and I have come up with our own Baller Island NBA awards that we will get to later on in this episode as well and I guess to kind of fill this the the beginning of this episode we'll start off with actually I just saw breaking news here Donovan Mitchell will be shut down for the remainder of the regular season and then be re-evaluated before the postseason and I guess they'll have a week before by the time the regular season ends for the first round of the playoffs. So I guess it's not too much of a big deal there. I mean, to me, it does. If I'm, if I'm in, a, in a Western Conference, the one team I want to play is right now, out of those top teams, it'd be the Jazz. And I've said that from the beginning. I don't think the Jazz are that good. And if Donovan Mitchell's not playing, my God. I think the Lakers, if they, if they find a way to play the Jazz, they're cooking. Yeah, I I really don't blame you there. I think it's going to be really interesting to see who matches up against the Jazz and the Suns, considering I would say Phoenix more so than Utah is fairly inexperienced. But Utah as well, I mean, it's tough. They've had a, an unbelievable season, and then to end up getting the Los Angeles Lakers in the first round or potentially the Golden State Warriors and Steph Curry it would be a, a tough task. And it was not the Golden State Warriors of you know three, four years ago, but, you know, it is still definitely a tough task or to get the defending champion LA Lakers. I mean, that's a, that's a really tough ask. And when you look at it, but I mean, we'll end up seeing what happens, but we will now have our guest join our episode. Now he is the founder of Raptors cage and probably the biggest Raptors fan I know. And he's also my cousin, such an Aurora. Welcome to the Island, my guy. Thank you guys. How's it going? Not doing too bad. Glad you can uh, take some time out to join us. And we have a few stuff to, to get to here. We definitely want to get your take on the playing tournament next week and uh, some stuff ahead of the NBA playoffs. But I guess we will start with the Raptors season so far obviously has not gone the way we've wanted it to. So, I mean, it's been a while since, since, since we've talk, been able to talk about the Raps. So what's been your take thus far as a lot has transpired in this season for the Raps? Yeah, I mean it's it's uh it's kind of weird, you know. We kind of got used to uh, winning. <laughs> it's been really seven seven years of extreme success for for the Raptors, with obviously the championship run capping it, and back to kind of being you know a scrappy team where every win was meaningful, games were more exciting. A part of me actually <laughs> kind of liked liked elements of that, but you know. This season, of course, was frustrating on so many levels with really what I would call a perfect storm. So anything bad that could have happened really happened. You have, you know, the team in Tampa away from their home, away from their everyday environments. You have games where, frankly, were just bad luck. If you remember that string of games where Siaka missed those kind of game, you know, game-tying shots or game-winning shots against Golden State, against... Um, Portland, there's, you know, a handful of games we could have easily won. Part part of that is, you know, I think people are forgetting the fact that at one point in the season, 
the Raptors were fourth and um, heading into what was the easiest stretch of the schedule. Um, and then three out of their four best players got COVID and were out. And then they ended up losing, I think, eight out of 10 of those games. And so imagine if that hadn't have happened, I, I would expect the Raptors to be a top four seed right now very easily. So uh, it's it's tough, but, you know, there's this is the first time we're, we're going to be in the lottery. So it'll be uh, an interesting, I think, offseason. And, and I'm not necessarily expecting this this at all to be the case next year. Well, you guys, this you guys picked the perfect year to be in the lottery. This year is loaded, and I can see definitely the Raptors. A guy that fits them would be Evan Mobley. If they can get high enough, or Evan Mobley falls, that that's the perfect match in my opinion. Guys up front, and just a player up front. Marcus Ole and Ibaka left a huge void. That Boucher, he's played pretty well, but he can't do it alone. And who else they got? Fred and Beans that have not filled that void, but Gary Trent trade is definitely promising. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm hoping the Raptors end up getting uh, Kate Cunningham personally. Obviously, I, I think that's the hope for every team to get, uh, you know, number one pick. Uh, and you know, the next time, who knows? The next time the Raptors will be in the lottery. So hopefully, this this time around, they make it worth it. I'm gonna tell you, I right mean, now, Kate Cunningham ain't going. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's been the biggest thing, right? As I know a lot of the Raptors fan base has wanted Cade Cunningham. And the odds of the Raps falling to the number one pick, I mean, I thought were extremely unlikely. But, I mean, you never know. But I'm totally with B on the on the Evan Mobley. Hey, 8%. 8%. 8 out of 100 <laughs> times, right? It's, it's, not, it's not that unlikely. It, it is very possible. And, it, and if Cade Cunningham does, for some reason, end up becoming a Toronto Raptor, I will gladly come up here and say I was completely wrong because I've been saying for the past two months that the Raptors are not getting Cade Cunningham. So we'll see what happens. But I do really think that Evan Mobley would be a really nice fit for the Raptors um, in the future. I think that's been really the biggest missing link for the Raptors all year has been that center position. It seems like it's been, they've tried to get different guys filling that void and it really just hasn't ended up having that guy and losing Gasol and Ibaka was a big deal of that. But, you know, to your point too, it's been a rough year for the Raps. I mean, they've had to battle injuries, COVID. They haven't played at home all year. They got off to a rocky start two and eight, but then exactly like you mentioned, they were a 500 team right before the all-star break. They were hitting on all cylinders at that point and kind of getting back into things. And then it almost seems like once they got COVID, they just were not able to recover from that. And, ended up leading to only one win in the entire month of March. And that was really just an incredibly tough thing when the Raptors have had a really tough season overall. And I totally agree. I think if there is a season for them to miss the playoffs, I think it's this one. I know last year when we were having that discussion, when the Raps and Celtics were playing in that series, not having that true home court advantage in that game seven, I know Bilal will probably disagree, but it definitely played a factor. And I think this year, if the Raps were in a similar situation where every other team gets to play on their home court, the Raps wouldn't have that. So I think that's definitely a factor. And I wouldn't mind the Raps missing the playoffs this year if that's not the case. And they end up getting a lottery pick for it. So I really don't think it's the worst situation there. But having said that, obviously, looking ahead to the future, obviously, it looks like the Raptors will end up getting a top 10 pick, which is good. And I trust in Masai and Bobby Webster that they'll do a great job with whoever they decide to pick. But the big thing here going in the future, and I know this has been your guy for the last decade, Kyle Lowry. And there's well, the let, let's, 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 let's pause on that. I, I do. Before we go there, I do just want to bring something up here. While we were talking, I took a quick look just for reference. In 2006, the Raptors' odds of getting the first pick was 8%, and uh, they ended up getting the first pick. Right now, our odds are just below 8%. So I just I just wanted to, to plug that in before we close this conversation because really anything can happen, and I'm going to just be expecting that first pick to be coming our way, and until it until something proves me wrong, that's going to be my expectation. Well, I can assure you if that happens, Kate Cardium is going to be better than Bargiani ever was. <laughs> Well, one can only hope. I mean, there, there's pretty high upside, I'd say, for sure. 
that no no doubt and i mean hold on to that eight percent it'll be very interesting to see what happens but yeah no doubt Cade cunningham will be a lot better than andrea bargnani ever was but um but back to the kyle lowry thing here and obviously depending on what the Raptors decide to do. What's your take on that? Obviously, the Raptors did not decide to move on from at the trade deadline. What do you think will happen with the Kyle Lowry situation this offseason? Uh, I'm, I'm expecting him to come back. I, you know, I don't see a circumstance where the Raptors would, would have just kept him without some sort of handshake agreement and, and Kenny bringing him back in some capacity, right? I, I'd be shocked. Maybe it ends up being a sign and trade in the off season, uh, but I, I would be I would be surprised if he just walked and we didn't get anything. And uh, I would if I were kind of get, kind of betting, my my most likely outcome to bet on would be a, a kind of maybe one to two year deal where Lowry comes back. Uh, to me, a, a sign seems the most likely, and it'd have to be to a contender. But it all depends. You think if you know they can get a top ten pick and. Maybe that top 10 pick doesn't fit with this timeline. So maybe they move that top 10 pick and somebody else and get somebody to make one last go at it with Lowry and that core. Or you can either trade Lowry, start fresh to rebuild with your And you still have Van Vliet, who's a little bit younger, Gary Trent, who's younger, Siakam, who's younger. And that will be your new core going forward. So it's it's a game depending on what you do. You want to give Lowry one last shot. Or you kind of start fresh. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a it's a interesting debate, right? Because I think there's you know the business side of it and what makes sense, and I think you could argue both ways whether bringing Lowry Lowry kind of back or getting some value from him makes sense because this year again from kind of a real plus minus perspective he was still our best player, still the Raptors' best player. Sorry, and. Um, there's the also element of kind of legacy, right? And, you know, there's not many players that the Raptors are going to have in their history, if, if anyone ever, that are going to do the things Kyle Lowry has done. And to me, every franchise needs that sort of history, legacy, and, and, and making sure Lowry kind of stays and retires a Raptor, to me, should be a priority. You know, uh, if you look at what happened with Dwayne Wade, he... he played great for Miami. He had some kind of weird stints with Chicago, with Cleveland, and then he ended up coming back. And so is that, is that kind of the, the way the Raptors want to end up playing it out where you kind of let him loose for a bit? Um, uh, I personally wouldn't, wouldn't want to see that, but you know, I, I think it's, it's clear that whatever makes the most basketball sense is what's going to happen. And so, I guess we'll find out, you know, another, another important thing to think about is if we end up getting, you know, Kate Cunningham, then maybe it, it doesn't make sense to bring Lowry back because then you'll have a uh, kind of call it backlog of guards with Lowry, um, new point guard. Uh, so that, that could, you know, be part of it as well. That's a great point too. And yeah, you're right. If they get Kate, they'll, we'd have a ton of guards there too. But this has been like the whole debate over the last like two months is, do the Raptors want to compete next year or at least try to get back to where they've been? Or do they, you know, go in the more direction of getting younger and, you know, move on from Kyle Lowry? And I think that's kind of the direction that the Raptors need to figure out. And if they want to move on from Kyle Lowry, I think Kyle Lowry deserves to get moved where he wants to go. And I think he has done enough here that he deserves to have that word in that discussion as to where he wants to go or if he wants to come back. And I think he'll do what's best for him in his career. And I know, Sachin, I know you definitely do not want to see Kyle Lowry in another uniform. I know that for a fact. But also, <laughs> the one thing that I can't stand too, and that I, I really hope that this isn't the case too, is I would hate for Kyle Lowry to leave Toronto without him having a proper last game at Scotiabank Arena. Like, I don't know. There's just something that doesn't necessarily sit well with me. But obviously, there is a real you know, scenario that that could be the case, but that would definitely suck. But I know that even if he came back, he would get the proper reception that he deserves. So it really all depends there. But again, it really depends on what the Raptors want to do in the off season. Do they want to try and stock up and get someone in free agency and try to contend? Or do they want to try and 
get a lot of these younger guys going and, and head in that direction. So it'll be really interesting to see what the Raptors do. I think the draft will have probably have a pretty significant impact depending on where the Raptors land and which direction they go. That will probably impact Kyle Lowry's future as well. So it'll be very interesting to see how that goes. And I do also want to acknowledge the seven-year streak that the Raptors have had and how amazing that has been for our city and, and what they've done. And I don't even really count this season, to be honest. Like, you know, they weren't playing it in Toronto. If, if you know, they made the playoffs and they're playing in Tampa, it's like I mentioned previously, it's, you know, it's not the same feel necessarily. So I don't necessarily count that, but obviously on paper, the streak is snapped. But I mean, to be honest, I think we were spoiled over the last seven years for what the Raps were able to do. So I just wanted to acknowledge that as well. But I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens with the Raps going forward. It'll be very interesting to see that. But I expect them to, if they're healthy and they're back home and they don't have to deal with COVID next year, that they'll be back to being a playoff team. But having said that, the Raps aren't in the playoffs. But obviously, we know with the new play-in tournament, there are two extra teams per conference. Below and I have talked a lot about the play-in tournament over the last few episodes. So, Sachin, what's kind of your take on the play-in tournament and, and what to look forward to next week? Well, you know, as a fan, I think it's it's exciting, right? As someone who just wants to see competitive basketball games, you can't go wrong. And, and I think the league is trying to, you know, you see Adam Silver, he's extremely uh, innovative and he'll always kind of push new ideas. And this was an idea that was obviously born out of, out of COVID, uh, which made complete sense in the bubble uh it made sense and and again with the shortened season it 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 does make sense you know you have guys like lebron who are calling calling out against it and i think it's more to do with the fact that there's a very real possibility now that his team will be in the play yeah. tournament yeah i agree um but it's I, I think you know what i like about it is is it promotes competitiveness um this idea of tanking and trying to position yourself to lose, which I mean, being a Raptors fan is probably not something we should be be speaking uh, negatively about given that's exactly what's been happening over the past month. But um, it, it, it just doesn't sit well with, with, you know, me that that's how NBA teams would operate. And so stretching that out really, I think promotes teams that are not necessarily doing as well to still push and, and give them that opportunity. So I, I, for one, I think it's a good idea. Um, I, I, I also never expected the Raptors to even be remotely close to a play-in spot. I was expecting them to still be a top four seed this year. So it was kind of interesting to see, you know, when, when the Raptors were in the spot of 10th, 11th seed, do we go for the play-in? Do we back up and just go for the lottery? And And there's quite a fine line between the two. So, you know, Right up until last week, there was some people who thought the Raptors should still go for the play and some people thought they should uh, pull back for the lottery. So I, I think it, it gives you know fans who are part of franchises that are not necessarily doing as well something to cheer for. I think it gives overall basketball fans more competitive games to watch. And I think, you know, I, I overall personally like it. I, I, I understand, you know, Lucas talked about it being, you know, a stupid idea of Fred Van Bleed has kind of made comments about it. LeBron, there's a lot of players who are of the mindset that, you know, <clears throat> if if you've played so many games in a season to establish your position, uh, you, sh- you shouldn't be able to be kind of knocked out from one game, which is ultimately one game, there's a big element of luck involved, right? So from that standpoint, I do kind of understand. And, and for future kind of, Concepts. If this is something the league's going to go forward with, I, I'd, I'd look for them to add in a bit more of a call it equalizer for you know teams that wouldn't necessarily. So, so for a team like the Lakers, if you're finishing seventh, it shouldn't really they sh- they shouldn't really theoretically be in a play-in tournament if if they're let's say eight games ahead of the the tenth or eleventh seed. That doesn't really make sense intuitively. So. I think it's kind of finding that balance to still reward winning in the regular season, but drive that competitiveness. I mean, I've been I've been against it because I've always been at the the player mindset. But the point that you made about about competitive games, like we've seen this last week, 
Boston playing Miami a handful of times. Like these games normally don't really matter like that. You have four, five, basically four, five, six, seven, all the way down to 10, 11 in the East, all playing games this late in the year that actually matter as opposed to them resting their guys and just trying to get healthy. So it does make uh, basketball a lot more competitive and easier to watch. And as a fan, like I'm still going to watch the games regardless. The playing games are going to be mad exciting and everything. I don't like tanking at all. So if it makes these teams that don't want to tank, sure, I'm with that. But then the flip side that you mentioned that I can't get over and, and can't wrap my hand around is we play 72 games, 82 games in a regular season. What what have I not shown you to deserve this this spot? Why do I have to prove it to you one more time? And then I get stuck with a bad matchup, maybe somebody twisted an ankle and they can't play. And then I lose in the play-in and I'm done. Just like that, after I've proved to you all year that I deserve to be in the playoffs. Yeah, that's a that's definitely a fair point. And I definitely agree with the play-in that we've talked about over the past few weeks too. It was definitely made for a business move, but I also love it for, for the competitiveness. And exactly like you mentioned, this last week, teams like the Los Angeles Lakers are fighting for the chance to, well, we could have a week off or we have to play in this playing tournament and we've been banged up for the last few weeks. So it definitely really changes the last week of regular season. And it's almost kind of like in the NFL, how week 17, everything kind of comes down to that one week with seedings. I kind of like that element in that last week of the NBA season where it's, it's a, you know, a lot dependent on how we play this week will be where we end up with the seeding. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens next week. I'm looking forward to it. And again, it's more basketball for us. And I know it sucks for some of the players and I can understand their frustration with the compressed season that which we've talked about on previous episodes too. But at the same time, it, you know, it's, it's competitive. It's more basketball. It, it should be fun either way. But obviously with the playing tournament next week and the NBA playoffs coming up now, so... Who do you kind of have so far as some of the contenders for the NBA title this year? I know there's probably three three teams in the East that a lot of people have, but the West is a bit of a different story. So who you got right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's the element of just disbelief that a team like Utah can actually break through or a team like Phoenix can actually break through. Uh, I, I think it'll be interesting because it does feel a bit wide open. You know, every year we say LeBron looks like he's slowing down and then he proves us wrong. But eventually there will be one year where he actually does slow down. and Maybe this is the year. So uh, if that's the case, then, you know, the Clippers are a team that obviously look, look really strong. Uh, Phoenix, Utah, Denver, even without Murray, I think they're, they're a strong team. There's, there's, just so many. I, I think the West is super intriguing to your point. And, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting if the Lakers end up, you know, making the play-in tournament and they end up, you know, finishing, let's say, seventh. Uh, they could have a first-round matchup against uh, against Phoenix right off the bat. And so the, the West is really, I think, all bets are off when it comes to making predictions. You know, you have even a guy like, the first round right now is Clippers against against Blazers is, is what we'd, we'd have on paper. And would anyone be really shocked if, if Dame kind of took a couple games from the Clippers and made that series interesting? Probably not. Not at so, all. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, if I was a betting man, my, my pick would probably be the Lakers. <laughs> I think it's still hard to bet against that team. But uh, I, I also think, when I compare this to last year, it's much more wide open. Well, when you look at it, I always think of, uh, you know, the team that's the healthiest normally wins. And we saw it last year. I mean, I think the Lakers are going to win regardless last year, but Bam and Jodgic being out made that so much easier. And then even when the Raptors won, KD was there. It's always, to me, it's always the healthier team wins. And now the two contenders to me that we've all been looking at all year were, Brooklyn and the Lakers both got injury issues of their own. Um, I think two out of the three in Brooklyn have to be able to be on the floor for them to have a shot. If they have one, yeah, I think they need all three, at least two out of the three to make a run. The Lakers, Anthony Davis, and LeBron both battling injuries. So when you have the two favorites, to me anyways, battling injuries injuries up in the air and everything, it's, it really leaves the door open for Philly, 
Milwaukee, those teams that keep getting bounced in the second round in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then you have finally, maybe this is the year that, like you said, one of those teams that we didn't even see coming, like Utah or Phoenix get in. But if I were to pick to come out the West, I'd, I'd go with the Clippers just because I don't trust right now the way Anthony Davis I don't trust his injuries right now. I don't trust – I don't know. I don't know. I'm go, I'd go Clippers right now to come out the West. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with the Clippers pick. I think when you look at the entire West, I think there are a lot of injury issues for a lot of the teams, and you think that, well, the Clippers are the one team that haven't really dealt with that so far. So I would agree with that Clippers pick. But the Lakers are another team that when they're healthy, they're really, really hard to bet against. But, man, wouldn't it be something – if LeBron were to do this with the Lakers as a seven or eight seed, I just think that would be quite an incredible storyline if that were to happen. But I mean, it, it really sucks. I mean, you're Utah and Phoenix, you know, two teams who haven't had a ton of success. Utah's had a few, you know, a few success stories over the past years making the postseason. Phoenix hasn't done that in over a decade. Now they're the top two seeds in the West. And guess what? Congratulations. You got to play the Lakers and possibly the Warriors in the first round. That's not a very good consolation prize. But having said that, it will be a very interesting first round there. And, and I'm excited to, uh, to see what happens there. But Sachin, thanks a lot for taking the time out to come and talk to us here on the island. And always appreciate your insights on the Raptors, of course. And just before we let you off, Bilal and I are going to talk about our MVP predictions for this season later on the episode. And we just wanted to get your predictions for who you think is going to win MVP this year. <laughs> okay. Uh... I think there's who I, I think is going to win and who deserves to win, and they're two different answers. So, which one? Which one would you like first? Doesn't matter. All right. Well, I, I think Nikola Jokic is going to win the MVP, and anything else is just noise at this point. There, I, I would be just shocked if if he doesn't win. Uh, who I actually think deserves to win is uh, Steph Curry, and you know, to me, what he's doing, I, I think. I think people are just kind of used to Steph being ridiculous. And, you know, we had kind of a couple of years with, with KD kind of joining the Warriors and he had, you know, where he slowed down a bit. But just watching watching him play and you look at the team that's around him, you look at the system, you look at the players, you have these guys, like half of their roster are basically, you know, guys who who wouldn't be getting minutes on any any playoff level teams and this guy he just when you talk about mvp my my definition is when you remove that player from a team how much worse do they get and to me if if you remove steph curry from the warriors they become the worst team in the league and if you remove Jokic from the nuggets they don't they're not nearly as good but they're still you know maybe an eighth seed so that's my 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 pick and my opinion. Yeah, I I don't think we could we couldn't agree with that more. I completely agree with that. I think what Steph is doing with a team like you said, Golden State with hardly any talent has been absolutely amazing. And I I agree with you. I don't think some people necessarily appreciate what he's doing currently with such a bad team. If to exactly your point, with how good the Warriors have been over the years that they're just used to it. I totally agree with that. And that same thing with Jokic. What he has been doing with Denver has been absolutely amazing as well. But I, I definitely agree with that. I think Jokic is most likely the favorite. But what Steph doing definitely deserves the attention there for sure. But hey, once again, thanks a lot, Sachin, for joining us on Baller Island. You're welcome anytime. And thanks again for taking the time out. Thanks, bro. thanks so much, guys, for having me. No problem. Take it easy. Bye-bye. So Bilal and I will break down the NBA season award predictions on this half of the episode. And we'll also get to our own Baller Island NBA award winners as well. But before we get to that, we'll go over some news of around the NBA world over the past week. And we'll start off with some injury news with the Celtics regarding Jalen Brown. B, you want to get us started with that? My God, man. Talk about a season from hell. Everything... Just like with the Raptors, you guys were saying, everything that went wrong could go wrong with the Celtics. And um, I think it's time. I think just shut everybody down. Everybody's been battling injuries of their own. Tatum, Kemba, 
and they're starting like just I just shut up giving us Celtics fans hope because every time they win we get all excited we're like we're fourth again then they get blown out by the freaking Bulls and whoever again and then back down into the plan so just shut it down rest up like I said way back when the, the four teams that had the shortest amount of rest all been struggling. We look at it, we see the Celtics in the play-in, Miami battling for play-in spot, the Lakers battling for a playoff spot. Denver surprisingly done pretty well without Jamal Murray, and that's just because Jokic is playing the best ball of anybody in the league. But just shut it down, get healthy, we'll be back next year. Dang, so you're saying for Boston to just pretty much, what, lose out in the play-in tournament, no, you're saying? No, I don't. I mean... If you can, you can, but even if they get into the play-in and they get the seventh seed, they'll play Brooklyn in the yeah, first Brooklyn. round. Yeah, Brooklyn, yeah. So just, hey, just rest up. Just rest up. This year this year was just season from hell, and I know people are calling out Brad Stevens, rightfully so. I don't think he's done a crazy, crazy good job this year. I'm a huge supporter of him, but I don't think he's done a great job with his rotations. And yeah, Just rest up, man. Just rest up. Yeah, no, fair enough. And obviously, you've watched a whole ton more Celtics basketball than I have this past season. But, I mean, losing Jalen Brown just sucks, especially with a week before the playoffs. And the injury bug has just bitten almost every single team in the NBA this year. And it's been it's been brutal because, like we talked about you know, previously on the episode about competitiveness and how that really changes the game and changes the way that, you know, we, when we watch, it makes it more entertaining. It's more entertaining for the players. And a team like Boston that looks like pretty likely that they'll end up be playing in the play-in tournament next week against Charlotte. Now they don't have Jalen Brown, and now you're going to be asking a lot out of Jason Tatum. So it will be really interesting to see what happens with Boston. And and I see what you're saying because if if Boston wins that game against Charlotte, what your your consolation prize is you get a first round matchup with KD and Kyrie and Harden and the I'm Nets. Not, I'm like, not saying I'm not saying to loot like. Lose out. I mean, it's weird. Like, I'm never, never trying to say lose out, lose on purpose, tank, whatever. I'm just saying the amount of games that some of these dudes have missed and the injuries they've died of. Like, Jalen Brown, even before this injury, has missed 10 games. He's got to get right when him and Tatum collided. And we were pretty scared about that because he's been nursing an ankle all year. And then it's his wrist. So this dude just banged up all over the plate. Smart's missed like 20. 30 games. Kemba's missed 25 games. Fournier, they just got, missed almost 15 games, 13 games. And then Robert Williams, their starting centers, missed 15 games of his own. Tatum's missed almost 10 games. They're top seven dudes. They're top seven guys in the rotation, if you want to put in Fournier, Tristan Thompson, Pritchard. Their top seven, eight guys have not played one game together this whole year. Yeah, I mean, like I said, the injuries have been a complete mess and it's really hard to be consistent in the NBA when you have guys in and out of the lineup. So obviously, if if you're saying for Boston, the biggest thing is to rest up. The the ideal goal would then to be within these next three, four games is to climb up to that six seed and have Miami drop to the play in because then you get a week off and then, you know, you get that time, like you said, to rest up. So I think that's really the only scenario that I would see for Boston to potentially, you know, rest up before a playoff run is to catch Miami. And currently they're sitting two games behind the heat with, I believe around three, four games left. Yeah. Yeah, Three games left in the regular season. So it's definitely not looking likely, but it's possible. But now you gotta, you gotta try and grind these last few games out without Jalen Brown so it'll be really interesting to see what happens there and and we'll talk more about the playing tournament once we know the matchups and all that but another team that's in the playing tournament that has really climbed their way out of the gutter this season that's the Washington Wizards Russell Westbrook has officially surpassed Oscar Robertson as the leader for triple doubles in NBA history and I know we talked a lot about Russ last week so we don't have to get too much of that but this guy just doesn't stop when it comes to triple doubles. Like, it's like any time we think, oh, Russell Westbrook is just doing his thing. The guy just keeps bringing it and really forget what he's doing with triple doubles. But what he's doing with Washington is pretty spectacular what they've been able to do in this second half of the season, too. No, for real. And crazy props on him. What a 
crazy achievement. And I'm going to read out some, some stuff just to, you know, show some love before I, before I switch sides. So, you know, he's, he's top 25 in scoring. The score is not too crazy, like 22 a game. But then when you look at his other st- – he's leading the league in assists, right, 11.6 assists a game, leads the league, right? And he's playing on a pretty crummy team with a pretty crummy supporting cast. So to get 12 assists a game with those dudes is, is an accomplishment in itself. And then you look at it. He's tied for fifth in rebounds. A 6'3 guard is tied for fifth with Vucevic, who is a rebounding monster at – Rounded up 12 rebounds a game. 12 rebounds a game for a 6-3 guard. He, he out-rebounds. Ennis Cantor, who's had a great year. He out-rebounds Giannis, Jokic, Embiid, DeAndre Ayton, Julius Randle. All those guys get less rebounds than a 6-3 guard. Those guys are 6-9 plus, 7 feet tall. And he just gets them. He just plays harder than everybody else. And I think... That energy of him playing harder is super infectious on his squad, and I think that's the reason he he shows them how to play hard, and they 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 feed off that, and that's why a team like that wins. I always say playing hard gets you an extra twenty wins. No doubt, I I couldn't agree with that more. And man, that's a that's a pretty incredible stat. And I, again, Russell Westbrook's a guy that deserves the amount of credit that he does get from a lot of people and because what he's doing is pretty outstanding and especially with a team like Washington and I like I like what you said there of how when you got a guy like that who's you know playing with that kind of grit in that game and Washington was not very good in the first half of the season they were horrendous I think they were in like second last and then once they got a little bit healthier the second half of the season they really took off and when you got a guy like Russell Westbrook playing the way that he has, yeah, that really helps a lot of your supporting cast as well. So, I mean, what Russell Westbrook has done this season has been nothing short of, of amazing stuff. And I, I honestly think they're the favorites to win the playing tournament right now. I honestly think that, but it'll be very interesting to see what happens there and, and what Russell Westbrook does, but they're, they're, they're hot right now out of those let me teams. Just I mean, well, let me play for the other team right now. Okay. Another thing I've always I've never been a crazy Westbrook fan at all. I, I love the energy he plays with, and I love how hard he plays with. But that's all I like about his game, right? I always thought he was he didn't take good shots and he wasn't clutch and whatever. And the other side of this is like you watch a Westbrook game and he looks amazing. He looks like he's just the best player on the floor until it matters. And I know people always say yo winning isn't everything winning isn't everything but it does matter and he missed the game winning shot he could have I thought he could have gone all the way to the rim that same day he broke Oscar St. Robertson's record and that's what but he missed the game winning shot I'm sorry but winning does matter okay and it's not only does that I mean I get triple doubles is crazy accomplishment right and the thing I give him mad props are it's his, his triple doubles aren't 10 10 and 10 like, he's getting – he had 20 assists the other day. Like, he gets them up, like, 15 rebounds. Like, they're in the mid-teens, 20s, damn near every time. And I respect the hell out of that. But it's like the triple-double. To me, like, he's averaged it four of the last five seasons. Maybe I'm just getting blinded by his greatness. But for – like, it's just we like triple-doubles because it's a round number. I mean, you see dude like – a Harden, what did Harden average? 35, 11, and 8? Like, that's better than a triple-double is, right? Yep. So, it's it's good. It's a great accomplishment. It's easier to track. But, like, hold on. There's still some dudes that are putting up just as crazy numbers that we never – like, Sabonis yesterday had 20, 20, and 9. That's better than a triple-double. But it's not That's fantastic. And nobody talked about it, right? Yeah, I mean, that's it's still a double-double. I mean, I know it's not a triple-double, but I still think a double-double is something, especially for a big man. Like, I always think if you're a, if you're a big man and you're getting double-doubles, I always think that that's something, and that, that means something. And when you're if you're telling me Sabonis had, had a 20-20 night, I think that's something to talk about. But obviously, yeah. 20-20 and 9. 9 assists. Yeah, so he was yeah he was he was one assist short from a triple double like and he was close talk, exactly and that doesn't count to anything right nobody's talking about it nobody even knew he had that stat line but because it's not a triple double we don't talk about it 
Yeah, it's it's fair. And that's unfortunately the way that, the, you know, the media works. And it's funny because DeMontis Sabonis is a really talented player. And I'm not just saying that because he was a former Zag, but even in general, like you see him all these skills competitions on All-Star Weekend. I mean, he cooked everybody. Like Sabonis is a really talented guy. And I agree, He, you know, not just him, but other guys who are getting stat lines like that. Yeah, they, they don't get enough love. And I, I like the point that you mentioned. Now, I'll try not to take too much time here on Westbrook, but I really like what you said about how Russell Westbrook doesn't necessarily win a lot of games and he's not as clutch in that regard. I'm with you on that. And I think him and James Harden are kind of in that same class for me. I could go off on a whole tangent on James Harden. I think he's an, an amazing player, an amazing shooter, but I don't know why we still look at him as this guy that can carry a team. Because I don't necessarily look at him that way. Because he had multiple opportunities in Houston to knock out that Golden State team. And he wasn't able to do it. But that's a story for another day. And I feel kind of similar about Russell Westbrook. But what he has done with Washington this year has has been pretty good. But the tournament starts next week. So we'll see how he does in a do-or-die type matchup. But obviously, I don't think the competition is as good. I think they will definitely be in Indiana, and they can beat Charlotte, although Charlotte and Indiana are not bad. But I think once they... If 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 Washington does, they could lose. But if they win, then they'll either get Philadelphia in the first round. Then I think it will be very interesting because Philadelphia has been hot all year oh, long. I would love to see the NBA Westbrook matchup too. Those two always get chippy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it'd be a really entertaining matchup, no doubt. But, you know, we'll see how that goes. And I guess that's a, a decent segue on to our next um, topic here, and that's crowning our NBA regular season award predictions. And we'll start with the actual award predictions, MVP, Rookie of the Year, Sixth Man, Coach of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, and Most Improved. And then we'll get to our Baller Island NBA regular season awards and we'll start from the bottom up so we'll start with most improved player who you got I mean we shouldn't even have this conversation it's it's set in stone it's Julius Randle He's yeah MVP whispers come on there's no competition here yeah no I I definitely agree with that I don't think there's much of a conversation there Julius Randle I mean I mean, we'll talk a little bit about the Knicks in a little bit as well. But man, with Julius Randle, to see his improvement this season has been fantastic. But even from when I think you and me can both agree in the sense that when we were watching him at Kentucky, we knew like, yeah, like he was a good player. But come on, did you really expect him to pop off like this at New York? Because I certainly didn't. I knew he he was a good player, a really good player. But I did not think he would reach yeah, this point. Is when, is when they signed him in free agency that year, they signed basically four power forwards. They had him, they had Taj Gibson, they signed, they signed Marcus Morris, and they signed, oh, they drafted Andre Barrett that year. So four forwards they had all playing the same two positions. And uh, he rose above all of them, I guess, and he's – put in the work and he's got a little bit of a jump shot now, which just opened the floor completely for him. Yeah, no, no doubt. And what Julius Randle has done this season has been pretty amazing. And it's funny that you mentioned that when they traded for him too, because I remember the famous video of Max Kellerman totally roasting Stephen A. Smith by getting him a Julius Randle jersey, but it wasn't even a legit Julius Randle jersey. He literally took tape and then put Randall's name in a Sharpie and then taped it on and gave it to Stephen A. And look how that turned out. Julius Randall ended up being a star for the New York Knicks, which has been pretty crazy. And now all of a sudden you're looking ahead to the offseason where the Knicks might be a hot destination. So Julius Randall, I definitely agree. Most improved player of the year. Defensive player of the year. Who you got for that one? Uh, to me, it's the same three guys that were up before last year. I know a lot of guys like Ben Simmons. And I, love, I like Ben Simmons. I'm a Ben Simmons fan, the way he can switch through all five positions. But, you know, I never really believed in Gobert as a crazy good defender. But this year, he just completely proved me wrong. It's not even that he's, his numbers or anything crazy, but you just watch. And there's a, this is, I think, one of the big reasons why the Jazz are the number one seed. These guys that go up scared of him like he's chilling in the paint and dudes like just don't want to drive on him 
he makes such an impact without even recording a block or anything. So my pick is definitely Gomez. Yeah, no, I'm, I think we're in agreement with that. And I know Ben Simmons has had a, a pretty good year as well. And Giannis has had a good year too, but I don't think he's had as much of success on the defensive side as Rudy Gobert has had. And, and you're right, Utah has had an incredible year as well. Um, but yeah, I, I would definitely say Rudy Gobert as well. And Ben Simmons has had a great year too. Both of them, both of their teams are in first place. Here's one that I, I really like to talk about, and that's Coach of the Year. And here we have... I think we can both agree the candidates that we all have here are Monty Williams of Phoenix, Tom Thibodeau with the Knicks, and Nate McMillan with the Atlanta Hawks, who obviously wasn't even the head coach to start the year. And I think we're both in agreement with this one, that Monty I mean, Williams. I do want to give a shout-out to, uh, to Steve Nash, honestly. And I think that you have those three dudes. This First of all, Steve Nash is in his first year co- as a coach, right? And you have three really and half the time two out of the three aren't even playing right and every like we said every team's had their injuries but as a first year to learn in this environment and to still be second they were first for a little bit but two out of the three not even playing half the time got all three to accept the roles no ego in the room i was on a part of the side that james harden wouldn't be able to to dish the ball and play facilitator and take a step back but it's worked when they three are on the floor. And he's made Bruce Brown, who was a guard coming in, he's given him power forward. And it's worked. So I give such a so much kudos to Steve Nash. Actually, you know what? I got to go with Tibbs as coach of the year just because we didn't think the Knicks were going to be a playoff team. And here they are in the fourth seed. Yeah, I, I, can, I can't disagree with that. The Steve Nash one is an interesting one. I didn't really think about that because I like Brooklyn is so loaded. Steve Nash came into a really, really great situation where you have Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant. I mean, who wouldn't want to take that job? But you know what? I will give you that in the sense that you're right. A lot of those three guys, they've hardly played together all year. And the fact that Steve Nash has been able to keep Brooklyn atop and as a top two seed, I will give you that. And it is his first year coaching in the NBA. I will give you that. I'll say that, you know, Steve Nash has done a nice job in that regard because he hasn't had all three of his stars at the same time at his disposal. So I'll agree with that one. Tom Thibodeau, again, absolutely outstanding job. The Knicks have been horrid for years. And the fact that Thibodeau has been able to come in and take the Knicks in the, in the fourth place has been something else. And, and really to see a lot of these young guys kind of come together in just one season has been fantastic. I want to shout out Nate McMillan again for the for the Atlanta Hawks as well, taking over that job. I think he deserves to stay as the head coach of the Hawks. That's another young team that not a lot of us expected out of them. They're sitting at a five seed and are probably going to play the New York Knicks in the first round. So shout out Nate McMillan as well. But I got to go Monty Williams. I mean, the, the Phoenix Suns, I mean, I think we can all agree that with CP3, in the offseason, we knew they were going to be a good team, but we did not think they were going to be this good. And the fact that they are sitting in a top two seed is just incredible what Monty Williams has been able to do. Even last year, having Phoenix, you know, almost get in last year, Monty Williams has done an absolutely fantastic job. And because they're a two seed, I got to give it to them. And, and I can't wait to see who they get matched up with in the first round. Sixth man of the year, I think we're both in agreement here with Jordan Clarkson, no? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's... I don't know where this came from. He's always been a jacker, but this year, coming off the bench, this role seems just great for him, doesn't it? Seems like he can do this for a long time. Special shout-out, though, to Derrick Rose, because Derrick Rose coming off the bench next, and he's averaging 15 a game, and he's playing pretty well there. Totally... And uh, he's got a nice little connection with Thomas Gibson's, but... Yeah, no, for me, it's definitely Jordan Clarkson flamethrower and he's doing it way more consistently than he ever used to yeah no definitely and and Derek Rose is a good call too he's that one guy that I don't think a lot of people kind of mention him when you talk about the Knicks and to have his veteran presence and another thing that goes kind of underrated it's funny I didn't even notice this until right now until I kind of clicked into it it's almost like Derek Rose succeeds more when he plays under Tom Thibodeau I just took that in 
Thibodeau got his guys. Him and Taj Gibson, and those two have been the vets. All Taj Gibson, yeah, he also plays for the Knicks. Exactly. Yeah. I, I literally did not even clue into that until literally right now. That's kind of ironic that that's how that turned out. Because, yeah, Derrick Rose was in the prime of his career when Thibodeau was was with him in, in uh, Chicago. And they had a, a nice little run over there, too. And then, if I'm not mistaken, D. Rose went to Minnesota. Did he not when Thibs was there as well? Yeah, for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, so so D Rose has kind of followed him around. So and it's it's been a nice partnership to see what they've been able to do. But yeah, D Rose definitely he's he's done a heck of a job and he's been a nice veteran presence for a lot of those young guys there as well. Speaking of young guys, rookie of the year has kind of been a two man race between LaMelo Ball and Anthony Edwards this year, and both of them have been exceptional. Out of these two, who do you think will end up winning rookie of the year? To me, this is the toughest choice out of all the awards. I think um, the problem is Lamella missed a few games, almost 20. Um, but for him to get an average like 16, 6, and 6, and when him and him, Vrago had them at the fourth seed, right? And that, to me, is more than anything Edwards has done. I know Edwards had some crazy highlights. He's dropped some 40 balls. The other day, great shooting performance. I think he had 40 on like two missed shots. He can get buckets, but does it translate to, right? I think, it, to me, it comes down to Lamelo just had a bigger impact on his squad in terms of the Edwards did. Yeah, no, that's exactly where I was going with that as well. And I think we talked a little bit about that earlier as well of, you know, what MVP or rookie there and what these awards kind of mean to some people. And I think it has a different meaning to everyone, but I'm totally in agreement with you in the sense that which one had more of an impact on their team. And Anthony Edwards has had a really great year. He exceeded my expectations by a mile. But the Timberwolves are still in last place in the West. LaMelo Ball missed some time. I know that I, I'm very happy that he's back because he's had a really good year. He also exceeded my expectations. I didn't think LaMelo Ball was going to be this good. But exactly to your point, Charlotte has missed the playoffs almost really for the last five, six years. I think they've only made it once. And LaMelo Ball has got this team in a play-in tournament. Actually, they're sitting in the eighth spot. So they're in a playoff position currently. So in that case, I got to give it to LaMelo Ball too. I mean, prior to his injury, he was averaging 19 a game, five rebounds, six assists. And now he's averaging 16, six rebounds and six assists, which is not too much off of what he had before. I got to give it to LaMelo Ball as well. And that brings us to the, actually finish your thought and then we'll go to MVP. He's, it's not like he's missed games to where it was like how Embiid was the better rookie, but Brogdon won it because Embiid only played 30 games. Or even last year when Zion was like, he didn't win it, but because he, he only played 25 games, right? Like, LaMelo's played enough to earn it. It's not that he's missed more than half the season or something like that. If he missed half the season, then we could have a conversation here. Definitely, no doubt. I definitely agree with that one. If he missed more time, which he didn't miss a ton of time, I think he, he should be well in that conversation. But to MVP, and I think we already kind of talked about it, and I think we are both in agreement with this. And I think, you know, when, when we had Suchin on earlier, he summed it up pretty good that Jokic is probably going to be the winner. But what Steph Curry is doing with the Golden State Warriors is not to be ignored. Well, no, I think Steph Curry has been like, he's easily the most fun person to watch in, in the NBA. And so how much it means to them. They didn't have him last year. One of the worst teams I've ever seen play basketball. And even the games they, he doesn't play this year, oh my God, I can't watch a game. My eyes start bleeding just watching it without him playing. Like, I literally... And then when he comes on, I switch the channel. But Jokic, I mean, the fact that they're doing better without John Murray, I mean, I think Michael Porter Jr. playing out of his mind right now, but Jokic in that tough of a Western Conference, averaging almost a triple double as a center. Yeah, I, it comes down to like we always talk about, and you can't. I don't think you can be an eight seed and win the MVP. This dude, Jokic, three four seed, just give it to him. Yeah, and especially as a big man too, right? I mean, he's averaging a double double, but also the fact that Jamal Murray hasn't been there for the past month or so makes it all that more impressive what Nikola Jokic has been doing. And I do think he will end up winning the MVP. But again, what Steph Curry is just doing with such a, like a team that 
doesn't have a lot of talent is just it, it is amazing. It's a lot like how Damian Lillard was last in last year so in the you bubble. Were, if you were to give it out, you would give it to Steph. Oh yes, absolutely. I'd give it to Steph Curry. If it was up to me and I did it, I'd give it to Steph because my the way that I look at the MVP is is not who's in first place or any of that stuff. I look at who has helped elevate their team the best. The Warriors would be in last place if Steph Curry was not on this team right now. And the fact that he, and not even just that, it's not even that he's just playing decent, but the guy, and we went over this a few episodes ago, the guy's averaging like 30 points a game right now. And he went off on, I think it was March or April, that he had like 30, 40 points almost every single day or every single game in that month. That's unheard of. So for the fact that he's done all that and to put his team in a playoff positioning without Klay Thompson, no Kevin Durant at his disposal, I got to give it. I, 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 it was up to me, and I was, and I had to make the decision to win MVP. I'm giving it to Stephen Curry. One thing I want to pay attention to, though, if Jokic was in this conversation, I'd say Jokic season would be between Chris Paul and Steph Curry. Right? Agreed. And you, you may be. Chris Paul is averaging like 16 and 9. Like those aren't MVP numbers, right? But this that this if that was the case, this season would remind me so much of I think it was 2006 when um Steve Nash won MVP, right? Same exact scenario. Steve Nash numbers not crazy, but they're the number one seed in Phoenix. Same thing with Chris Paul, right? Kobe Bryant's averaging 35 a game. And all those records that Steph was breaking with Kobe Bryant's crazy hot streak, and he had that one month where he was dropping numbers like crazy, dropping 40s, all those numbers. And a lot of people think Kobe should have won that MVP. So if it was Chris Paul and Steph Curry, that to me, that's just deja vu. It's the exact same as Steve Nash and Kobe in that year. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. That's a good call there, but... You know, we are getting to near the end of this episode here, so we are quickly just going to run through our Baller Island NBA Award winners that we have come up with, and we will also post this on our Instagram and Twitter accounts too. So if we kind of rush through this here, you can go and check that out when we post them um, in just a few days' time. But the awards that we decided to come up with, we got the Starfish Glue Guy and the Lifeboat Hardest Carry of the season, B, you want to take those two, and then I'll take the other two. Man, so for the glue guy, I've been watching a lot of these. I like to think of these guys as the guys that, you know, you don't, the average you don't really think about, right? So I'm going to give props to Bakel Bridges. You know, Phoenix played a hell of a year, second year in the league. That would be in the 14th game. Elite defensively, I think he's been a key card to the number two in the conference, especially the supporting cast in, in Utah as well for that. And then the hardest carry, I don't think any surprise here. Steph Curry, right? We've been talking about him all episode. Hardest carry. Without that dude, we saw what happened last year. Hard without a doubt, Steph Curry. Yeah, no doubt. And we've been talking about Steph, you know, the the, the last few minutes here. He, what he's done has been absolutely amazing. And our and our other two awards here, we got the buried treasure surprise team of the year and the best preseason or midseason acquisition, the biggest catch of the season. I think we both are going to agree it's Russell Westbrook. What he's been able to do to bring Washington to where it is has been really just an absolute heck of a job. And some other guys in there, James Harden's another guy, but obviously he's been injured for a lot of the season. And Chris Paul has been a really underrated move that a lot of people have been giving love to. I really don't think Phoenix would be where they are right now without Chris Paul's leadership and really the impact that he has on that young team. But Russell Westbrook was definitely the biggest catch because Washington would not be where they are, and he has really uplifted that team down the stretch here. And as for the buried treasure surprise... Drew Holiday, too, real quick, because Drew Holiday's been open. Absolutely. No, definitely give some love to, to Drew Holiday for sure. And then last but not least, the buried treasure surprise team of the year the New York Knicks. Stephen A's Knicks have come out of nowhere and have skyrocketed into fourth place in the East. Some other teams, the Utah Jazz, obviously, like we mentioned, they've made the playoffs the last few years, but to, to be the, the top team in first place has definitely been something. 
Phoenix, another team that has come out of nowhere, breaking that 10-11 year drought has been great. And the Atlanta Hawks, another team that has been in the gutter the last few years, making it back to the postseason as well. But the New York Knicks are the buried treasure surprise team of the year, and we will post these awards on our social medias later in the week as well. But that will do it for this week's episode of Baller Island. And don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter for more sports news and analysis. B, any final thoughts? Almost playoff time, baby. Definitely. We got one week until the play-in tournament, and we will have that all covered next week. But until then, enjoy the final week of the NBA season. And next week, we ran out of time on this episode, but next week we will talk NFL schedule release to start off next week's episode cannot wait for that and you can tune in or pay attention and keep a lock to our instagram and twitter as we will be updating some of the leaks for the nfl schedule coming up tomorrow until then we'll see you next week and don't forget to keep a locked and give us a follow on instagram and twitter Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Baller Island. We got a lot more content coming your way, so make sure to keep it locked and give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter for more sports news and analysis.